Hi, I'm Lucas James. And I'm Jordan Ross. And I'm AJ Casada. And we're the co-hosts of How to Scale an Agency. After scaling our own agencies to over $185,000 per month in sales and working with agencies doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue like Hawk Media and Neil Patel, we've made this show to interview the top digital marketing agency owners and highlight the fastest ways to scale your agency. If you would like to join a community of like-minded agency owners and scale your business while doing so, go to eightfigureagency.co forward slash call to explore options on how we can help you scale your agency. What is good, agency owners? This is Jordan Ross, founder of Eight Figure Agency. And today we got a killer conversation. We got one of my homies, longtime friend and client, uh, David Riggs, founder of Numa Media. Great story. When I met David, David, the first website David built for me was called jordanrosscoaching.com. That's, that's how long I've known David for. And the month before we ever engaged with David, he did 10K. So if you're watching this on video, you're seeing his dogs are attacking him right now. Over a journey of you know, 20 months, two years, David went on and built a multi-million dollar business, you know, and this year in 2023, they're looking to continue to stack on that. One of the best and savviest entrepreneurs I've worked with, really gets strategy, really gets sourcing talent and building a great culture. And obviously for David, your age, that's just a rare thing. So David, what's good uh, for everyone that doesn't know you, who's David Riggs and what is Numa Media? Thanks for the kind words. I'll take it. And yeah, I mean, if anybody's watching it. on video, we got, I got assaulted by these two. Hi, boys. It's probably my mistake. 5 p.m. is food time. So they're going to hover the whole podcast. Uh, <laughs> but uh, oh. dude, thanks for having me on. I'm excited for this. So who is David Riggs? Terrible besides besides a schoolyard bully who just starts fights <laughs> on basketball courts. We're not talking about that, David Riggs, right? You, now. Don't, you don't want the highlights of me getting kicked out. That's fair. Yeah, uh, dude, just somebody has fun building things. The earliest memory I have, which is a good example, is we were, I had to go to speech therapy as a kid, and you're going to laugh at this. I'm from Kentucky. People from Kentucky have accents, and my accent was so thick that I went to speech therapy to solve said accent. Long story short, it was it speech therapy, and one of the earliest stories or even memories I have, there's like a toy that was broken in the office that had been there for years. And I was playing with it. And the lady came out and was like, hey, that's broken. My mom was like, I'll put it down. It's broken. Something in me. Apparently, I sat there for the next hour and fixed this thing, fixed the toy from bottom up, like took it apart, rebuilt it, and was back to working again. And uh, my mom always uses that story when she talks about like building businesses now because I am the type of person to just like wholly devote time into something, fix it from the ground up, rebuild it, and like keep it rocky. I know it's a funny thing, but it always no, I'm laughing because I'm the total opposite. I know you are. You're the one who would have just tossed the toy and bought a new one. Whereas, I don't know, I find value in the joy of like actually building. And I definitely think my role now is that we've talked about this in in your coaching and our friendship as well, like the visionary versus the integrator. I've fallen into that visionary role quite well, but still have a lot of integration knowledge and like desire to do that. And I think it makes Numa really dangerous, but I also think it makes the companies that we have in ventures as well just a really cool mix of like vision to solve ventures. problems. But oh my God, yeah. I, forgot, I forgot about that, bro. There you go. We can go down that too. But ventures, it just, it, it creates a cool opportunity for us to have good vision led companies that know how to solve problems, but actually have the operations to do it, which is cool. So yeah, that's, I mean, about me, really just a dude that likes building businesses. I'm, I, you know me, I'm not a flashy, complex, nah. crazy person. Uh, but I just enjoy kind of the the path to get from, I'd say, A to Z. So 
that's David Numa. Um, Numa Media is a web and SEO agency started as web, turned into SEO afterwards, and really just taking a content-led approach to everything. We can get super tactical in that if we want, but the biggest thing nowadays is that SEO is a channel, content marketing is the strategy. A lot of SEO firms just do the channel. We tend to do content marketing all together and just happen to be good at SEO as well. So it gives us a unique advantage of actually helping people build a content marketing function, a content marketing strategy, while we'll distribute that out on SEO and really own that channel for you. It also gives a lot of companies the opportunity to build content off the back of Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, doing its TikToks, video scripts, podcasts, you name it. So it's a very cool avenue and kind of niche that we've built into. And then Ventures, which based on your reaction, I'm sure we'll cover more now, is our hold code. So how many are in it? What's the four. quick cliff notes? Four. Yeah. It was going to be five. I'm not going to say much about that, but it's now is back the fifth, to four. Is the fifth uh, the one I know about? And did that one fall? Yeah. And it fell, fell through. through. That... But we're going to have four and we have a really strong four right now, which I'm excited for. So, well, um, you know, I guess using... we're going to have to find another business to account for that one. <laughs> Maybe the emphasis was too strong, but yeah, I was excited about that. It just ended up not working out. But either way, Ventures is a hold co going out and buying as many companies as we can. So Not wild. to say that we do anything incredibly well, but I think we we just do the things that we want to do. And I think a lot of people out there are all talk as much as that's overplayed, but NUMA and the talent at NUMA has a very unique ability to say that we are going to do X and then actually do X and act on X and act on it really quickly and really with a high quality. And that is rare to come by in the business world, especially the agency world. So there you go. There's a little background. I'll actually, I'll actually play right off that and then we'll go into the okay. story part. Run with it. I think... Um... Yeah, I was going to say, this is just going to be a play off each other for the entire podcast. Well, no, I want to tell the story because the story is important. <laughs> but I share the same sentiment. And we were just looking at a business where the guy was full of shit um, before we went live. And I, I really have a distaste for people that are full of shit. And obviously, as you know, like there's a lot of people that are full of shit. Most people will say something and do something else or not even do it at all or just blatantly lie. I think we actually had a situation, so for everyone that doesn't know, Dave and I partnered up. I bought into a business that he was running. I said I was going to do one thing, and then after 90 days, I, I had to raise my hand. I was like, I actually overcommitted, and I actually pulled out. I was like, yo, like, this is my bad. I need to cop out. This isn't for me, right? And I think the, diff- the reason I highlight that, you know, sometimes you could think you're going to say you're going to do something, but like, there's also like a lot of times we could overextend. It's okay just to be like, uh, I could cop, yeah, cop out. But that's Can what I came even to mind. say. I'd say to that point too, it's an actual skill to know how to cop out gracefully. And a lot of people, this is the worst thing you can do. The worst thing you can do is overextend yourself. The second worst thing you can do is overextend yourself and ghost that person and just like not really make it clear that you're backing out. And that gets into a whole different discussion, but it's something that we really coach in the team members is like, look, Numa's fast paced. Everybody says it, but we actually are. Our COO said it as a joke early on, but like, Numa is kind of a dangerous place to work in the sense of the culture that we say is actually the culture that we have. And the culture that we say is fast moving. It's fun. But like you're getting in, you're contributing as quickly as possible. Like there is no lollygagging. This is not corporate America. There's not 19,000 videos you need to watch about human resources. We dive in and we go. And yeah, it just creates a very cool work environment. But the thing that we coach is like, hey, do not overextend yourself. If you do overextend yourself, make it really clear that you have, because that's the easiest way to solve that issue and understand what not to do. But 
who in the world we have today everybody ghosts each other quiet quitting is a thing like I people overextending me in q4 when i overextended i'm like i need uh, to cop out but you were just mad at the world so, um, so let's do this let's let's <laughs> let's bring let's bring it back let's bring it back i want to go to the start of our relationship professionally so we did a barter deal in 2020 and then we went into a paid consulting relationship where yep. The month before we engaged, you had done $10,000. And then over the course of a 20-month period, you had built a multi-billion dollar business, which is fucking unheard of. And then I actually looked back over the course of a 10-month period, you had built a million dollar business. One, just saying that, I'm like, wow, what a fucking journey, man. But um, I want to go to the early stages of how we did that. Some things that are popping into my mind, because you knew how to generate demand. We went through yeah. one of the first well, it was things. Part, it was, I was going to say it was part of my background too. Like... The marketing angle we always kind of had to our disposal because of one, I had LinkedIn following, but two, kind of the roles that I had professionally in nine to fives were very marketing demand, customer focused. So we went through early stuff, sales, process, management. So quickly touch on, you learn how to sell and you fucking, I mean, you were, you were always a natural salesman, but then you put a process behind it and you fucking tore it up. The... I think for you, it was four-call system. I think I condensed it to three, but it's... No, five-step five step five sales step process, sales. but yeah. it's it's like a two, two, three-call sales sales process. Yeah. That's exactly um, what we still use. So do we. So do we. Same shit. Yeah. What were the big insights early on around actual selling, closing deals? I'll put it this way. I think sales actually gets a bad brand and a bad rap. I was in college and coming out of college, and everybody was like, sales is the most important skill ever. And people listening to this podcast, I guarantee you have heard the same thing. I kind of got sick of hearing that because I was like, yeah, whatever. Say, like, I think of sales, I think of car salesmen. And I was like, I'm just, I'm not that. Like, I take a different approach to things. It's much more of the relationship side. It's not just like try and get a yes as quickly as possible. And two things, right? I think that five-step sales process, but working with you gave me enough insight of like, sales is not as pushy as people make it out to seem. But sales is way, I'll put it this way as well. When you have a product you believe in, sales is a lot more fun. And I always see sales as being something that both sides hate, but it's a natural evil. Definitely got over that real quick working with you because it's not, it doesn't have to be the the evil that has to have a seat at the table. It's quite fun if you have a product you believe in and you know how to sell it and you have a process to do that. So I don't see that that's the biggest thing. I think that's where a lot of agency owners struggle is that don't have a ton of a belief in their product or quite frankly, they have belief in their product, but they lack confidence. Those two things are far more important than sales and that would then whatever process you have. But if you have confidence and you have the the mindset about your product and you have a process, yeah, that's a nice trio to have, especially if you're selling something. So let's take that and transition into the process, right? So we you learned how to sell. That helped big time. And we start to scale from there. So like I'm looking, some of the things we built, we built the OS. So we started to house your SOPs. Yeah. We found a temporary person to come in and support on the operational front. And then we started to teach your team how to execute. Yeah. So walk us through, same thing, early wins, early things that you learned that ultimately led to, in eight, 10 months, going from basically 10000 a business that does $10,000 a month to a business that's yeah. doing over 85 k a month. Like, How did those things compound and actually lead to that? Yeah, I was going to say, I think hindsight, the easiest way to explain it, and this is so overplayed, but... We've all seen Ford, like a Ford car. Henry Ford was the assembly line, right? Like one thing comes in, certain process passes to the next team on and on and on. I always saw agency business, especially the web dev side of things, is just a pr- assembly line, right? You come in, you close the deal. 
All right. First step is strategy. Second step is design. Third step is copy. And we do things very different. A lot of people start with copy and then design. Like we found our way to move it quickly and efficiently, which is what our ICP wanted. But I would say the the most important thing is we built something that we had confidence in. And then we didn't over perfect it. We didn't over articulate it. We didn't spend so much time with it. As soon as we had like a six to seven step process of taking a site from strategy to launch, we sold against it as much as possible. All we did was sell against it. Quite frankly, and I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, we didn't have rates. And I put that in quotes, if I could, like, we just sold. Somebody wanted a two grand website, sold it. Somebody, we could get a 10 grand, sold it. We sold whatever we could get our hands on up until the point that we were at capacity. And then we developed the market rate, which was essentially like the 75 percentile of those prices. Point being there is that we built the system and then we threw as much quantity at that system as possible. Literally as many websites as we could build. I was doing one pagers. I was doing 10 pagers. I was doing 90 pagers. Whatever we could get into that system to test it, we did and used all of that to actually iterate on the system and make it better. In a lot of ways, I would say that process hasn't stopped. That's what we're still doing. We have a process. We build a site every time. Nowadays, we're big enough. Every month, we look at every recently launched project and determine how we could differ or better our system to make sure that it accounts for the maybe the potential small drawback we had in a project. So that was really where we started, but we're using the same system as well, right? Like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm a pretty simple person. Built the system and sold against the system and then iterated on the system as much as possible and have since done the same thing with SEO and website management, the other two service lines we have. Just find the baseline system. We don't perfect it. We just find people that we can deliver value with the system that we have at that exact moment and just get people using that system as much as possible. And just to recap for you guys listening, what we did was we mapped out his process. I actually love the analogy of the assembly line because it's not an analogy I'm using. So I'm actually going to take that. That's what it is. We built the content surrounding that SOPs and trainings. And I remember when you went into SEO, I remember you showing me like, hey, like we could literally get a content writer like to be writing SEO in a, a week with how good this process is. And you had really good documentation. The big thing I think that that led to as the story of sales and that you start to close that volume. We brought on someone to help run the operation. Let's not go into the downside of you know how that person didn't work, but let's go into the upside of like the growth. That ultimately led to like, what were your early learnings um, in that first year on bringing on someone to run a department for you and ultimately train them, him and then the team that you go around him to scale? There's, and I'll even use a more frequent example, but the, the learnings still apply. There's hiring for tactics and there's hiring for strategy is the way that I've really started to break it down. Hiring for tactics is an easy example. It'd be uh, an SEO content writer. There's a little bit of strategy in there, right? And I don't want people to take, take a, what is it? Take an inch and run a yard, whatever that saying is. Totally not it. I'm terrible with those sayings, but you get the idea. Give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Boom. What J. Ross said. Uh, I don't want them to do that, but like a content writer, pretty tactical, right? Like uh, when we assign content, there's a type of content involved. Is it a comparison piece? Is it a listicle? Is it a how-to? Is it going to be a guide? Is it going to be a roundup? Is it going to be whatever that style is, right? We have tactics to do that. We need somebody that can write, but we'll provide kind of the insight of what to do and how to write it. And we get the deliverable, right? Give me the inputs, give me the writer, we get an output. That's very tactical based hiring. That's great whenever you're managing it and you need people underneath you to help you fulfill roles. As soon as you hire for that quote unquote manager, that changes quite a bit because you can't hire tactics. Managing people is not a 
In my opinion, it's not a bunch of tactics because tactics are just if X, then Y. To appropriately hire a manager based off of tactics, you'd have to have a billion things tactically laid out for them to follow. And at that point, you're better off just hiring a manager that understands people, understands the strategy of managing and let them rip and let them build how to manage those book of business. So the one thing that we still do today, whenever we have to go hire a manager, is that we look for somebody that strategically understands whatever they're hiring for, right? If we just hired a website management director, somebody that understands customer service, understands how to actually handle tickets, manage tickets, update the people when they're done, update people when we can't get them done as quickly, update them if there's a problem, right? Understand the strategy of all that. And then we just kind of fed them a team to manage as well. So I definitely say there's uh, two sides to it. But the biggest thing that I would say, I guess, coming from all of that, you can definitely hire a manager too early. You can delegate too early. I love automating. I love delegating. I love giving other people my responsibilities and firing myself from a role that I'm not good at. But I've seen many of businesses die because they delegate and automate far too quickly because they know to build a business, they have to delegate and automate. As soon as they have the option to, they delegate and automate. They get rid of it to somebody else. They're in trouble, right? Because they actually haven't built a strategy or tactics. So they're just giving somebody an idea and saying, here, you manage it now. So I'd equally say there's a, there's a world where you can go too quickly. Our first 20 web clients and our first 20 SEO clients, I managed by myself day to day project managed, strategy led, helped with tactics. I even did some of the blog writing. I remember there was a weekend, I wrote like 10,000 words of content because we had to get it out. So wow. I think, I know, it wasn't my favorite, but equally it's trained me enough to where now I know what it's like to be in the trenches and can help manage it as well, or help now manage the manager who manages the entire team. So I'd say there's a, a value and you don't hear this a lot. And I don't, I'm not even sure if you'd agree with me to an extent, but like there's a benefit of getting in the weeds. Right. You can definitely over delegate, over automate and jump the gun a bit. I found a lot of value in me being in the weeds, probably a little too late at times, but we've built a very systematic business because of it. And I think everybody on the team has a strong understanding of where the weeds are and what all that entails. Scaling your agency month over month is hard. You have to work on delivery and worry about retention and sales, appointments, managing your team, and so much more. I was able to grow a multi seven-figure business and remove myself completely from the day-to-day -day operation. If you want to do the same, I will show you the exact process I followed to hit the $2 million per year run rate and completely remove myself from the operation. If you want to build the dream business and live the life of your dreams, go to eightfigureagency.co forward slash value. I will show you how to build a business that can grow and operate without needing you. Once again, this is eightfigureagency.co forward slash value, and I will give you my best training ever for free. Well, I actually agree. I, I do think there's a benefit of understanding the, the weeds of your operation. Like an example for myself, you know, we have my COO, Matt, who is in the same city as your COO, which is fucking hilarious. Grand Rapids? Yeah, I don't know if you knew I that. I didn't know that. No, uh, I didn't. How funny is that shit? But, you know, he's working on a lot of structural systems for us right now. And one of the things that he's supposed to be owning is the develop, like further development of our talent um, for our consultants and because obviously 
I built the business. I know how to do it. Like I'm like, hey, you keep doing that. I'll I'll train them and I'll I'll get down and dirty with them because that's what's needed. But even at Amazon, every peak season, it literally have all levels of the company, even the the levels of executives that aren't even in the warehouse. There are people going into the warehouse and going into path as it's called. I think there's value to that because you understand like what you're looking at, what you're seeing. And I think it's so easy to get disillusioned and lost and just focus on bullshit and just look at numbers. But if you actually know, it's really easy to correlate success when you could see it. So I, actually, I think it's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, um, too, if you know the weeds and you can get into them on a, on a notice and you just see things a little bit differently, you can catch some of the issues a lot quicker because to other people, that's how it's always been to you. It's a little bit different because you see it from all angles. hundred percent. So you learned how to scale, learned how to hire, you learned how to manage and then like delegate at an effective pace. Yeah. And the other, and I don't want to mean to interrupt you. I think the other thing, that's the common stuff, right? Everybody's like to grow a business, you need to sell, sell, you need to operate, manage things like that. I think the one art form that a lot of people forget though, is the the product and service improvement. And I think that's probably the most important thing that's contributed to our We success. built that early. We built uh, autopsies. I use autopsies. I don't still use it. You, you and Colin don't like the word because it's hard to spell. I butcher it, but I still use it because I think it paints a really clear picture, although it's a little rough around the analogy edges. But right, autopsies, when somebody dies, they cut you open. They figure out what didn't work that made you die. I don't know what they do with that information, nor do I care. But what we do whenever a project ends is that we cut the project open and we're like, okay, what worked and what didn't work? What went really well? What didn't go well? And we look at that across every project in the business that still closes to this day, which is a whole lot of them, and we determine how to improve the product. Sometimes, easy answer, right? Hey, that's just, it happened. There's nothing we can do. We just need to be aware of it. We're going to move on. No real actions are going to be taken. Other times, we overhaul our entire onboarding process like we did a month ago. Like, I mean, I think this is the reason why, like, yeah you're one of the best clients that's ever come through ADAF in the terms of adoption and speed to go from like zero to you'll exceed 3 million this year. Did you th- exceed 3 mil in t- last year? Two. Yeah, you did two. But I think one of the reasons that I know thousands of entrepreneurs now, li- literally thousands, and there are only 0.4% of entrepreneurs will ever hit eight figures. The stat, Is that actually the, the number? The stat, one in 250. Well, that's like wild. Four. What is what is seven figures? It's like uh, one four, in hundred. It's four per, one in four in a hundred. Four percent. Four in a hundred. And and, and I do not know I, I th- there's gotta be some serendipitous correlation between the four percent and the point four percent. Like it's a ten. Oh yeah. But I wonder if it's a it's probably a tenth to the next level as well, nine figures. Either way, it's divulged, but <laughs> but I think one of the reasons, right? I think you understand all these things, you're a really good operator, but and this this will be a good segue conversation but the thing that i think that has made you in my mind you're an eight-figure entrepreneur in the making like you're it's not that you're not an eight-figure entrepreneur it's just waiting for time to catch up for the revenue to show that because one you focus on continuous improvement you continually get better two you are exceptional building a great team and having a great culture and that was when as i observed your process of you growing for me, that was one of the more, like, I'm even going to use the the word miraculous. I found it really impressive 
the talent you were able to attract to you, and this is kind of where I'd love to take this next question, but yeah. you built a good business with good processes. The processes always got better because we were always studying them and learning from ourselves. But then we start to get really good fucking people in them. Like your head of sales is a dog, literally, Nate dog, right? Your COO is great. You still have Bailey on the team? Yeah. Bailey, you have like- Rockstar. The pe- yeah, Rockstar. Bailey and Nathan. I mean, yeah. and we can literally sit here and name off- all And we could keep going, 30, but- about 30 people now? Yeah, 20. When we, were, when we were engaging in, that, in those first 20 months, that was something that really stood out. You, built a, you start building an all-star team. And I think that's something mm-hmm. that I've always known, but like, I didn't have to really articulate to you. We, we had a conversation. It's like, you need to be putting time to recruit in advance. And you took that. And I never had to say it ever fucking again. Like literally no. ever. I said it one time and you heard it and it stuck. You got it. What, how, how are you building such a great team? Like, how are you still building such a great team? Because I, yeah. like I said, I, I see it's, I think that's one of your unparalleled like skills that segregates yeah. you. And, and we'll go, we'll go back a little bit as well. Right. I think, Building a great team, it comes down to a couple things. And it's exactly the same as selling, right? Like selling services. You have inbound, you have outbound, right? The inbound is all going to be about the brand. And I think there's a couple of unique things that we've done. One, we pretty much across the board have positive experiences with both clients, partners, but employees. And that's the cool thing. Every employee that's come through NUMA that's had a true leadership role, That's and there's very few of them, but a few of them have left they use it as a stepping stone. They go to the next big thing. Numa is the best thing that happened to their career at that point in time to go to the next family. Look at this one yawning. That's number one. Number two, I'd, I'd say as well, right? We hold relationships to a very high standard to make sure everyone that engages with Numa is going to have a very good experience and it's going to be a memorable experience. For the most part, I'd say I can count on my hand the number of negative experiences that both clients and partners have had. Literally the ones I'm thinking of in my head total to like five. Over the course of 200 clients in three years, I'm taking five negative experiences. It's going to happen. And I think that's the other thing as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's the other thing as well. You're going to have five. You're going to have the negative experiences. What matters more is how you have the positive ones and the the impact that you have with those people. In short, diving and digging deep, right? So I'd say that's number one, right? You can go command after advanced search on Twitter. People talk about Numa without ever tagging me or the Numa account. They just talk about us. Oh, it's cool that he did this. Or, oh, it's cool that Numa does this, right? We built enough of a brand that people are excited to come work for us. And it's like the coolest thing ever. Number two, and then kind of 1B, I would say to that point, having an onboarding system for your employees is one of the most important things. And it's something that I completely not ignored. I did not value it as much as I do today. Uh, we have had- We did cover that hires. for everyone wondering. That was we one did, of the things we did. I, right, and I would even say early on, I just needed to get people rocking and rolling, right? What I found though is that whenever you have a good onboarding experience and people feel part of something bigger than themselves, they now want all their friends to work with you as well. For so sure. we've hired we've hired four people in the past month and we've gotten the best referrals to hire the next two from those four. Well, we that covered that in year best two. Way. We covered yeah. it in year one, but then we had to go back. I remember we cut co- we had to go back to that in year two. Because that grew was so quickly at that moment. That was the biggest pain point is that we couldn't we couldn't turn marketer to numa marketer or seo writer to a numa seo writer quick enough yeah and i remember for everyone listening right like the things to do that are good technical onboarding so i give the analogy of onboarding should be comparable to like college orientation super technical like be here at this time this hour every hour of the day and then the emotional onboarding right here are our values here's how we do business here's why we do business 
I think ultimately, like between everything we just said, that's it, right? All the things we said, those are besides culture, which we didn't talk about. You, you do. Well, I was about to say, yeah. Well, I was just gonna say the other thing. That's like one A and one B, I guess I would say. Find good talent, build a brand, make sure it's good from the inbound perspective. When they when you hire them, make sure it's a flawless or as close to flawless experience as possible. What I would say, our experience is not flawless, but the bar is set so low by every other agency that exists, in my opinion, at least the ones that we hire from. It's cakewalk. Ours looks like an A plus scenario, and I'd give us realistically a B. There's so much more we can do in onboarding. But because everybody else is a D, we look great. I would say that. Number two, though, two of three, you have to go outbound, right? So some of the team members that we have in our team knew about Numa, wanted to work for us, did not really consider it until I approached them and said, hey, I want you to come join the team. Here's what we can offer. Here's the role, right? you got to be afraid to kind of pitch your business as a service as well if you truly believe in it. Um, and the last thing I'd say about culture, I bring back to sports, which is you know where a lot of my analogies come from. Culture is not built with a set of values a set of values can drive your culture but you have to link back as many of the daily actions as possible so i like using the terminology that founders and owners need to be photographers of their business every time a good action happens that aligns with value you need to literally photograph it in slack with a screenshot put it to a team channel and say hey colon is a great example of pushing the envelope take this example here when he was working with x client he pushed the envelope by doing a b and c make sure you're doing the same in your day-to-day actions with clients I can't tell you how many of those messages I've sent. We're probably over 50 to 60 now over the past year, year and a half. But those are highly important to really build culture, state culture, and make sure it's ingrained in the people that work day day in and day out. Mm. Same thing, whenever you're part of a sports team, you start a practice and you realign on your goals, your values, your vision. But whenever so-and-so hits a jump shot, now I'm at basketball, which my team's going to crack up because there's a meme floating around. What are the odds David goes to a meeting without mentioning basketball? And it's very low. But like if so-and-so hits a jump shot, so-and-so guards the pick and roll well. In practice, coach stops the play, blows whistle, and calls it out. He captures, he photographs that moment so everybody knows, and then you get back to playing. Business is the same way. To build a really good culture, you have to photograph the good behaviors. It's so it's so intriguing. Because I same thing. I remember that conversation year two. Yeah. That was a big one. Like beginning at that was like beginning at 20... 21. 2022. 20, 22. That was beginning yeah. of last year about that conversation. I will give you context of why that I'm not saying on the podcast, but I remember why we had that conversation because something happened a little later. (laughs) But the cool thing that the cool thing, I like how you internalized it and made it your own Um, photograph, like photograph it, highlight it. Um, Because at the end of the day, like it it really is that simple, but I love how you tied it back to basketball, which is also hilarious because I think if your team saw how you played basketball, if you treated people, how you play, we're digressing. Anywho. David to Dan. I'll still, I'll court, still, guys. I'll still take anyone one-on-one. We'll see. No, you would eat, you would eat, me, for, you would eat me for breakfast. It's not even funny. Especially now. I've, I've been eating, sh- I've been playing so poorly for like, <laughs> for about, a, for about six months now because I just stopped shooting. Anywho. So dude, you've built this multi-million dollar business. You started doing a hold co. Why, why holding co? And how's that going? Yeah. Because I, my goal is like, I keep telling everyone we're going to, we're doing the one thing until 10 million I got a brought in last week. Someone's like coming to my holding company. I'm like, eh, talk to me in like two years and you know, maybe I'll start acquiring business. But like, why, why'd you start doing that? And how'd yeah. you do it where it doesn't distract you? Yeah. And I wish I had a visual cause it's easier to pitch. Right. But like Numa media required a lot of my time 
Uh, up, 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 up. I hired people and now it's requiring less and less of my time every single day. Now there, there are the odd spikes where some days are busy. Today was pretty light. I got to actually get my hands dirty and build, but build in new adventures instead, right? So there's two answers that I'll give to this, both the, the personal finance answer and then also the the business answer, I would say, personal finance. There's so many different ways to take this, right? But people get wealthy by owning things. They don't get wealthy by making income. And like if somebody's, if somebody really wanted to, could give me uh, all sorts of things because like that's a Robert Kiyosaki thing. Like that's a very overplayed cliche thing, but it's truthfully the answer, right? right? Like people who are extremely wealthy own things. They do not necessarily pull income always from those things, right? I'm a big believer in like what you do with 8F is very similar to what we kind of do with PV. We're just owning the shares. You have a lot more clients, like it's different models. Now I know that's where you're going to transition, but for us, it was, you know, I could spin up a really dope consulting agency, just doing SEO agencies, just doing service-based businesses about what I wanted to do. But then my thought process was, why don't I really increase the upside and increase the incentive and take equity, right? you're essentially getting me to consult for free now because if we're going to come in early on and, and probably run your profits low to grow and invest the business so you have better profits later on. So part of it is the personal finance. I want to own things at the end of the day. I want assets that I can actually grab. I don't, I'm not worried too much about income right now. I'm worried about distribution. I want to make sure I have a strong cash flow from payments of things that I own, dividends from things that I own because it's far more important. That's the personal finance side. The The business side, I would say, right, when a client comes to us and has a really positive experience, they start asking us about other service providers because we set the bar so high. David, do you know anybody who does bookkeeping like you do? Do you know anybody that does uh, content writing like you do? Do you know anybody that does email copywriting like you do? Do you know anybody that does web flow development like you do? Do you know anybody that can staff overseas talent like you do? Now I have yes to all of those. And I can say, yeah, go talk to Diego, go talk to Andre, go talk to Daphne, go talk to X, Y, and Z companies that I now have ownership or equity in that I can play, you know, a little bit of like a roundabout game because acquiring the client is still the absolute hardest thing to do in a business. Keeping the client is one of the most valuable things you can do in a business. Now I can keep the client forever. I can turn a lifetime value from 50 to 75,000 in UMA, probably a little bit higher to a quarter million by sending you to four to five other businesses if you need the services. In a year, two years, three years, I'd love to have 30 businesses that we're just pinging around, right? If one person gets a client, everybody's gonna benefit with some ownership or equity on the backside for me. So that's a business play. I've become very good at retaining clients, retaining people, retaining those relationships. And a lot of agencies do not do that. Gives us a superpower, not only to keep people happy at one company, but to keep them happy at all sorts of companies. So. That's the finance, that's the business. But I mean, at the end of the day, I'm excited to build a lot of those agencies because you and I learned a lot of the operating system. And quite frankly, that was the investment to help build new ventures as well, because we're going in, we're finding either companies that we want to invest in, buy out, things like that. And we're using the same model and same operating system, partial to you, partial to EOS. And we're just overhauling things, putting them in place and then bringing it back out. Um, I know we're a little over time, but I guess the final thing I'd say, I come from a finance background. Like the easiest thing you study in finance to understand how finance, debt, cash flow, all that stuff works is like the Burr model in real estate. You can buy something, you can renovate it, and then you essentially just rent it back out. That's the abbreviated Burr, right? And your cash on can, your cash on cash return, the money you get out of that's very minimal percentage wise, right? 
my whole thought process was, why hasn't somebody done that for a business? And people have, you, you know, private equity, you know, venture capital, I'll have their own flair, but like, why don't people look for already cash flowing profitable businesses, buying them out from an owner that doesn't want to be there anymore? Hint, most people over 65 own businesses and are going to sell them in the next decade, right? Buy those out, put in your own operating system, bring some technology to the interface, treat customers better than they could, and then do it again. Repeat all over again with another business. So that's the overarching model. But yeah, having fun with it. There's four in there right now. We have two good partners in the business with us as well. So a lot of growth is coming, but I mean, we have one company at six grand a month, one company at 10 grand a month, another company at eight to 10, which is pretty early. And then we have one other that's at 15. So again, they're early, but Numa Ventures is not even three months old, but we have a lot of recurring revenue coming from all those businesses, which is is exciting. It's beautiful. Awesome. Well, dude, this has been great. If people want to check you out, social, website, Twitter. or anywhere. Yeah, Twitter. Twitter, David W. Riggs, LinkedIn, David W. Riggs. Shoot me an email if you can find it. I will respond. But And if someone's listening to this and they're like, yeah, maybe, maybe I should check out ADAF too. What, what would you say to those people thinking about your success yeah. and not thinking about it for themselves? Yeah, I mean, I'm on the podcast, but realistically, what I've told other people, I'll put it this way, and then we can go into detail if you want me to. If you don't make your money back on the 8F investment, uh, you're probably the problem. The stuff that he and 8F in general are going to gear you up with is going to be stuff that you can use for years after. Hence, uh, you and I worked together for about a year. We, I mean, we, we a little over a year. We dug into a lot oh, of information. Dude. I still use that information today in Numa Media and Numa Ventures when I consult. There's a lot of ways I've monetized what I ended up paying you for knowledge. But equally, you, the investment in you is probably 100x at this point, but it's because I went and used it. So if you're somebody that believes in yourself, that knows you're going to take advantage of the knowledge that you're going to get from the ADF team, it's an easy home run. You just got to make sure to trust yourself and actually use that stuff. That's the the honest to God truth, because I think if somebody comes in and they aren't a true entrepreneur, they'll find out quickly. But for the people that I know that have gone through ADF that truly believe in themselves, that take action, dude, it's a home run. It's about the easiest thing in the world. Well, well said. And yeah, the way I like to look at it, you know, our goal is to teach people how to fish and it's teaching you how to run business the right way because on the marketplace- You can use that forever. Yeah, you can use it forever and just on the marketplace, there's just so much bad information and some mind boggling. It shouldn't be, t- it's like, I did an interview today and we were talking about the agency prison and I said, it's a fucking joke that only 4% of businesses like reach a million dollars annually. I said, that's fucking pathetic. And I can't believe it's not more because you hit the million dollar run rate in 10 months as a college grad right out of college. It took me a little bit longer because I was figuring out my model and all that shit. I was, I was a consultant for 18 months, but then like as a solo renewer, but then it took me six months after once I built a team to hit it. Right. It wasn't, it's not rocket science. It's just, that was another process. I'd say on that too, which I could go on for another hour and I, I won't. People have to get expectations out of their head. I can log on to Twitter right now. Somebody's bragging about, oh, we went to zero to 30K a month in one month. Here's how. Retweet for my template. That's great, man. Like, good for you. My issue with that, though, is that a lot of those things equally fizzle out. There is a world in which you can build a business that grows very quickly and you can like scale it to the moon, but it breaks right after because of operational deficiencies, fulfillment deficiencies, team deficiencies, you name it, it's there. I think one of the unique things about working with you is that if you look at our MRR at NUMA, it has been a consistent growth every single month. 
it's not roller coaster, right? It's not up and down, up and down. It's just been a, essentially a flat growing line. I think there's something to be said about building a business, but I think there's something to be said about working with you and building something that is something that's going to last a sustainable business, right? I can hand this to somebody and new is going to be around in five years. I have no doubt. I would put my life savings on it. That's not and many. That, and that's a business. That. That's, that's, that's a business, right? It's not a con. It's not something you can spin up and grab money from quickly. It's something that has inherent value. And I think that's the biggest thing I worked with you, right? That you're not teaching people or coaching people or an AF, I guess, isn't doing that just to build a business or just to make money. It's to build something that's going to actually last and have some inherent value, which again, you're, you're not going to find that value on the marketplace. With that. Mic drop. Mic drop. Dave, appreciate you. Guys, give him a follow. This guy's a real G. Um, knows what the, f- the fuck he's talking about. And dude, thank you for coming on. If you're in Denver, come get balled on. I'll put money on a one-on-one. I need as much competition <clears throat> as I can get right now. I got you, buddy. What is good, agency owners? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you were looking for support growing your agency and are not sure the best way to do that, go to eightfigureagency.co forward slash call where you will book a call with us and we will start our process to help you figure out what is the best way to grow your business. We're going to review your systems, add value, and help you understand a new model and system that you can start to build that is going to easily enable massive growth this year. Once again, that is eightfigureagency.co forward slash call, where we will help you scale your agency and add $10,000 in MRR per month. Cheers.